Welcome to Fusion Talk with Anouk and Steve. Yours is never, but okay. <laughs> Mine's never out of holiday mode. Is that what never you're in me? holiday mode. Now we're a part of the fun. Alrighty, we are recording. <laughs> All right. So, episode two. Yes. You're excited? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're excited when one went live. <laughs> yes, it is. We did so many work for it. We did plan it so long. And we recorded way t- uh, a few months back. So I'm happy it's live. Yeah, it's what Christmas does for you. That was your present for Christmas. <laughs> Or New Year. Or New Year. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Fusion Talk. We haven't changed the name in episode two like we thought we might. No. We like Fusion Talk. Yes, we will keep it. So we want to talk about fusion, atomic fusion, creation of energy. That's what we're into here. Does that sound about right? Yes. You sure? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she keeps laughing at the way I'm going here, but that's fine. She, I guess you'll f- get used to me in time. All right, so we want to move on from the last podcast. So on the last podcast, we talked about... Brainstorming in general and uh, how you can do a brainstorm and all of that. And now we want to move on to the brainstorming tools. Some of the different tools and techniques, they're all brainstorming, of course. Yes. And the objective is to try and get as much information out. Yeah, and the tools and techniques we are discussing are the things that we are using in our daily lives. Yeah, absolutely. Or in our business lives. In our business life, yes. We don't do brainstorming when, am I going to wash the pots? That's a great question. Let me get the post-its out. No, you do brainstorming when you are talking, how do we are going to do our garden? Or how do we are going to paint our house? Or things like that. (laughs) Yes, you need different colour post-its for painting the house. You can stick them on the wall. And yes, a pastel yellow would be the perfect colour here. All right. No, but it can actually, I mean, we sit and joke about that. I know a lot of people that use post-its for personal brainstorming. Yep. And in fact, if you go to my office at this moment in time, on the wall is a matrix. Across the top of the matrix are sensitivity labels. On the left-hand side going down are devices like, you know, corporate mobile, corporate laptop, bring your own mobile and then we've got sensitive and corporate. And I've basically used post-its to tr- help us try and focus that on a bring-your-own-device for sensitive data, it'll decide whether it's going to be allowed on that device or not. Yep. Because we were just using it to be able to um, animate, you know, the whole security posture. Yeah, but then you are already using it for some big projects and big impacts into your That's organization. True. But you can do it for smaller ones as well. Yeah, and I think we'll get onto that in a minute or two. I, I guess I was just trying to tell people that what they already know, that you can, of course, use Post-its for anything. <laughs> you are a big fan of Post-its, we know. <laughs> I have a big box full of them and I bring them out all the time. My team always know we're about to get creative when the box comes out and the pens go on the table. But they they smile and laugh, they enjoy it. It's fun doing. I think anything is creatively fun, but we want to be a bit more structured today. Yes. So, we're imagining what kind of scenario? How one of the things many customers are asking if uh, we would like a way how we can book a shared car in from our company. 
Okay, my one example. There or might be meeting rooms, or just requests for trainings, or all of that. How they can make a business process of it and automate a lot of those things. So from our perspective, we know what we're going to do. We're going to build a workflow of some form. We probably even yep. already visualize a list and a form and, a, and but everything a, else. But the customer doesn't know how it works and the customer doesn't know what they want. So we first need to get out that scope of what do you want? What, where do you want to use it for? Where do you want to go with it? And which user is going to use it? So scope and users. Yes. First thing on the list. So that's one of our first tools. Yeah, and it's very important to do it correctly and take your time for it to get everything in detail in there. And also know what will be in scope, but also describe what you won't do. Or what you don't want to have in the scope. Yes. No, I agree. And it, it's important to get the scope correct. No, I want to backtrack on that. It's important to get the scope documented. So yep. as you're workflowing or brainstorming or whatever you whatever tools we're going to talk about in a minute or two. So whichever process you go, whenever something doesn't feel right, you can look back at the scope and say that fits or that doesn't fit. Yep. And if it doesn't fit but it feels right, then maybe you need to revisit the scope and say, okay, now I get where you're at. Yes, but to get to that scope, we need to. You need to talk with your clients. Yeah. You need to um, get them a question about everything. They really re need to understand that maybe someone of marketing has different uh, opinions and that need different things than someone from IT. So, at a scope level, then what we're really trying to understand is where they're starting and where they're ending. And we ignore the middle yep. bit for now because we have to fill that in as we go along. So what I do with this is I actually get them to, first of all, list all of the users. That's yep. the important bit. Not, not John, not Susan, but a user role, a description. So somebody that needs to request whatever it is they're requesting. Maybe somebody that needs to approve it. Maybe somebody that needs to report on it. Yes. So then we identify that user and then we basically use a post-it with a small pen because we're going to have some big words on it. Sorry, we're going to have a lot of words on there rather than a big word or two. You where can we use describe post-its for it. Yeah. So uh, the scope is then describing the end-to-end -end process. Yep, for every user role separately. Um, Most uh, of the time. Some user roles will be combined, but some other, there will be different ones. Yes, true. But I think that comes in the next stage when we start talking about user stories for the individuals. It'd be better to do that. Um, but uh, you certainly need to have the, the users listed, in my book, yes. in my opinion anyway. I think the important message for me here is that when you deal with these things, you kind of have to do it in small chunks because the users never see the full picture. No. So, so that's the thing for me. So... Um, how would you normally then create a scope? Just sentences and or description of the outcome? I'm not for sentences. So I want to keep the scope as compact as possible and as clear as possible for everyone. So I would like to describe outcoming. But there are many things you can do. Uh, the way you fill it in are completely different about the needs of the customers. 
So one of the one customer maybe needs to have a lot of words and has described it in full, yeah. while the other one just needs a compact uh, list of things like step one, step two, step three, step four. So it's a little bit uh, depending on the customer's requirements and how they deal with things. Yes. And that kind of makes sense. But in simple terms, you want a, a statement that says things like, um, let's go with what we just did before. So the scope might be um, any person in the organization can go to a SharePoint page, click on request, fill out a form, and somebody will approve their use of a company car. Yes. So that scope then at least breaks down in our heads, of course, the different levels and stages. But that scope's important. And in that description I've just given, you've got some users and their role and everything else. Yep. Have we done the scope now, boss? Can we move on? <laughs> what's, yep. what's the worst kind of scope you could have? A scope that is not clear. <laughs> Give me an example. Um... I had a scope many years ago and they were requesting uh, the movement of documents. So they want to move documents from one library to another with a completely process behind it. Got it. They didn't know who can put in the documents in the library. They didn't know about the permissions on the library where it go to. Uh, was there permission needed? That was not defined in the scope. So I was there as a developer to develop all of that. And I just received it and I was like, okay, this, 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 this is all what I need to know. Give it to me and come back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the reason the scope is so important is, you know, there are so many choices when you run a workflow or a process yep. of any kind. You really need to understand who owns that and what it's going to achieve. And, and, and a really bad scope is one as you say that doesn't give you starting points or enough to brainstorm about yes and in the example i just gave there was depending on some metadata it needs to go to different libraries so when you don't give a clear scope and you don't say which metadata needs to go to which library then nobody will find this document anymore whose responsibility who owns the scope that's a tricky question. Mm. It is a trick question, but it's not really a tricky question, but yet... It's a trick question. It's tricky. You were right the first time. <laughs> so who owns a scope? Because mm. my, my problem is that um, it's really, really important whenever you do a brainstorming session that you know when you're ready to move on to the next stage. So we talked about four areas we're going to use in our brainstorm exercise now or in our example. So at what point do you know you can move on with the scope? So somebody therefore has to approve it. Yes. Now, it's not going to be you as a developer. No, it's going to be the responsible for the product from the customer side. Ah, product owner. Good call. So potentially you might need to do the scoping on a team's call 
rather than a face-to-face so that it can go and be approved and say, hey, this is what we're going to build. Yeah. And it will cost you 45 days of consultancy time because you're going <laughs> to... That's possible. You have tools and teams as well to use. <laughs> That's true, you do. Um, but but I think the scope is more around sentencing rather than necessarily post-its. But I mean, post-its get used to everything. Yeah. But you do need to have that scope approved before you move on to the next stage. So either they need to be in the meeting with you on the day so they can say yes that that nicely encompasses but what even we're trying then to when you documented it they need to approve it as well because you can have made things clear in the meeting but you can't translate it wrong to a document or to a piece of paper yeah so that's fine so whatever it is on the wall as a consultant you would describe it and you'd say that's what this means are we all agreed yeah because then as as we said earlier you're going to refer back to that scope on a regular basis All right, cool. So we know what we're going to achieve in a nice paragraph or a few sentence description, and we have some idea of the roles that are in there. Yes. So now we can build the thing. And uh, no, no, there's not still yet. a few more things we need. All right. <laughs> so what I wanted to move on to next was was something called user stories. <clears throat> Everybody knows what a user story is. Yes. We think and we assume. I assume that's everyone in IT knows what user stories are <laughs> yeah but we have a room full of business people so most of them do understand it as well but don't ask it to someone yeah, that's, that's not um, involved in this kind of business they probably will not be there to make things clear about user story true and we also are aiming this podcast really at you know it people so yeah. you guys know what a user story is i assume they knew yeah <laughs> but just in case let's explain it anyway so User story is an instruction from the perspective of a role within that scope. So we talked about, you know, a user will go to a SharePoint page, click on a button, open a form, fill out the form, somebody will approve it, and then it will get actioned. All of those stages have different roles in them. So for an example, it might well say, as a user of this application, I want to be able to find a web page and easily request a rental car from HR. That might well be the user story. Yes. And the, we put it in business terms so that the business people can actually look at it without having to understand the technology. Yes. It's really important that we understand the user stories for several aspects of it. One is so we know what we're building, and the other thing is so we know what we're testing. Why testing? Well, imagine that you're building application to do this form, all right, based upon the scope, but the users don't really understand what it's going to look like. So they may say they don't want a form. They want to actually hit a button on the website and then say to the website, I need a hire car from February the 1st until February the 10th. And then they want the computer to understand what they've said and then just book them a car because that's what they have in their head. Yes, but that's why you're going out in the later scenario for test scenario, test cases. But by having a user story, you've got a clear idea what yep. that test should look like. So whenever you're doing these brainstorming, collecting this data, it's not just for this particular aspect. No, it's for the entire thing. So it's from the scoop until the end of the development most of the time. So testing you... and delivering. Yeah, agreed. Testing and delivering. So as a developer, let's go again to your development head for a minute or two. So 
we have all these user stories. In this case, we probably have about five or six or seven. It's a simple workflow and request. Mm -hmm. How do you use those when you're developing? Depends on how they deliver them to you. Let's assume you have a series of user stories. Yes, but it depends on how they deliver the user stories to you. Uh, on a piece of paper written in pen. <laughs> yes, are they going to be fully written in text or are they going to be in di in user story diagrams? But you're running the workshop, so it's up to you. <laughs> how do you want it? But Okay, let's keep it simpler. Um, I have a... a a user story that says, as a user, I want to go to a web page to click on a button and, and create a form. Yes. I mean, will you literally build to that description? Yes. But one question with that user story I have is, does it need to be on an existing web page or do we need to create a completely new web page? So because they want to maybe integrate it into other uh, things, in other websites and other applications. It's a great question. So would you ask it before you accept the user story? Yes. So uh, if a user story then was as simple as that, I want to go to a web page, press a button, you would say, okay, is it a new web page or is it an existing web page? Yes. So it's an existing web page. So what would you do when I tell you as a user it's an existing web page? Then we know that we only need to create a button and a form and then we can combine them afterwards if we know on what which web page that needs to be included. Would it not be better to have a user story that says, as an end user, I want to go to the HR car hire page, click on a button and fill out a form to request a car rental? That would be better, but we do know that's not always the case, that we still have to We're figure things again, out and getting the questions the out of the user. The half empty again. <laughs> do you always look at these things as if they're missing something, they don't know what they're doing? Is this a developer thing? Users are always wrong. <laughs> Users are not wrong. Not at all, because they use the application, but they don't think about those kind of things as a developer think or someone dealing with it. They miss information, uh, or they don't miss the information, but they don't know it's important to give the information to other people. But isn't that why we're doing the brainstorming session? So, when I said, would the user saw a change and said, I want to go to the HR site and click on the button and yes. fill out the form. That would give you enough information to build. The basics to build, yes. And that's why I said it depends on how they deliver it. Because when they deliver it just in text, then you don't have all of that information. And if you deliver it in user story diagrams, then you need to uh, sign every piece separately. And then they see which page they need to go to and all of that. And then the information is already in there. I've never seen a user story diagram, so tell me what that looks like. You've never seen one. Don't be shocked. Just answer the question, <laughs> woman. <laughs> How long are you doing all of this and you've never seen one? Yes, I'm shocked. Listen, oh, Fusion Talk listeners, I'm trying to get you some information here and she's taking the pee. <laughs> Sorry for that. No, that's um, fine. No, let's go through the process. User story diagrams are uh, most of the time the workflow completely separated for every user separately. So if someone of HR needs to approve the workflow about renting the car or the manager needs to approve, then we start first start with 
then we have a little user really signed in there. Oh, you're talking about swim lanes? Yes, not always swim okay. lanes. So, and then the, every step is in there. So then we have the user, okay, he needs to go to that site to press a button. And then you have everything involved in there and every separate user that needs to do something to complete the entire story is in there in the diagram. Weird, isn't it? Because yes. it's a development tool, isn't it? I guess you use it. gives you the context to those user stories. Yep. I'd never thought about that. I will go look that up. I learned <laughs> something new today. As Moraine would say, if this was the Office 365 Distilled Podcast, that's a golden nugget. <laughs> nice. All right, cool. So use, collecting the user stories is one thing then, but also creating this network where you get the context of one user story to another. Yes. True. All right, I get it. I mean, user stories to me are just a way of being able to say, look, you know, there's the page to the user, there's the button you press, there's the form you fill out. Yep. And then I've met the user story requirement and the, users, the user can say, well, actually, the form needs to be green. And then you can change that. But at least you have them involved in the process. Yes, it this is. This network is interesting. Oh, one for me to go look at tomorrow. <laughs> That's cool. But like it already that. brings us with the other uh, technique, the post-it process business layout. It's quite a little bit the same but it's completely different translated so would you combine those two well i'll tell you what, first of all let's talk about post-it business layout or the the uh, the bpnm diagrams in my mind or the way that i've used them in the back so uh what am i talking about here so it's post-its again <laughs> post-its i love post-its um very often the users in their head say somebody's going to go to a web page, fill out a form, and then by some miracle, they will get a car rental. End of story. That's yep. what they get. But they don't really think about whether there's any car available on the date they want, how we check whether the cars are there, what kind of cars are available, whether the car's actually in the garage that day. Is that user allowed to have car rental cars? Who approves them? Where does the budget come from? What reporting? There's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be done. Yes. So they don't understand that. But one of the techniques where you can try and get users with a step into the into the process and understand it is by creating a business process diagram or a business process network map I think they call it and I use post-its to put it on the wall so I start off with start because that's my drawing and mm -hmm. then the next step may well be your user story yeah as a user I want to go to this page so that that is cool but then of course and say okay so they press the button so a new form starts uh, what do I want to ask them? So you would then put a post-it up that says field, you know, the, um, the date mm -hmm. of hire or the type of car, whatever. And the users are going, oh, well, it's just a form. So, okay, break it down for me. What are they going to put into that form? And then yes. they usually say, this is going to take ages. And you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we don't want to build the wrong process. And when are you sure that you are building the wrong process? process and don't miss anything that's about getting the right people in the room that have to fill out the form so it's where the users change isn't it so the user fills out the form yes so then you need to be asking the person that is receiving the form what information do you need so then we need another user story for whatever role is that looks at that form and actions it so so as the approver of the 
car rental form, I need to see this and this and this and this and this. And do you want to have them in different brainstorms or are you going to bring them all in one session? I'd bring them all in one session. <laughs> you think it might be too chaotic? What if the end user is saying, hey, I don't want that anyone is seeing the information that I put in there, except my manager or except HR. And then they know that it's all going to happen in there. What if they are making problems of it? How do you deal with that then? I guess part of it is working out who owns this process early on. So there's somebody that will own the process for car rental and it'll be up to them to decide whether we're going to develop something this way or that way. Um, are you not complicating it by saying, what if the user says? Probably I am complicating things, but, but it happens. <laughs> it happens. Well, they, yeah, it's going to be one of those things, isn't it? Um I would put it on a post-it and park it in the car park. Right, we're <laughs> going to just pin this to the wall here and we'll come back to that later. Because the important thing is that you get the end-to-end -end process with all the relevant information. Yes, and if you put them on post-its, it's more clear for everybody in the room and they have a visual thing about it, how it will work. Yeah. So we, we have the different role then and we then we get that person to describe what they need out of the process. And that would be a user story. Yes. I receive this form with this information. I fill out this form and I answer these questions. And, of course, the end user doesn't know what the form needs to look like. They just need to fill it out. The end, the person receiving the form has to decide what information they need. Um, so that's cool. So they're the user stories. And I love this user story map. Going to play with that. Going to look <laughs> at that and then take it from there. And then we've got the post-it process, which is a little bit like that map. And that post-it yes. is going to keep going. And it will get big. It will. And it's not a big problem that it's going to be big because the more information, the better. She says. <laughs> until somebody says, but you've missed this part out. Well, I didn't know about that. And you go, but look, that little pink post-it down there tells you <laughs> that you need to do this and that and the other. That, no, I get that. Um, what happens if it is a very large process? How do you break it down into different sections? So as a developer, is there some kind of way you break workflows down or you break processes down? You have a few things you can do, yes. Um, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> One of the things is really to start developing it based on user roles. Right. So you start developing from the end user role first and then go step by step until okay. you have the entire process. But then you need to have small tests between every step to know if that is what they want. Pure agile. We're yeah. gonna, this is what your form will look like. Yes. Or can I fill it out now? No, we just want to show you what it looks like. I haven't got to that bit yet. I can make sense. Yes, and then um, you can break down that. Uh, it's one of the most common things you do. You can have other ways, but then probably you will mess up. Okay, so what you're <laughs> saying is that it's important as part of the brainstorm to really understand what the user's expectations are. Yes. So, for example, you would have a user story that says, as an end user, I want to click a button on the HR page and, and make a request for a car mm -hmm. hire. 
But you also may have another user story that says, as an end user, I want to receive an email to advise me of what I filled out on the form. Okay, was it too hard a question? <laughs> <laughs> but you might have those kinds of things, or would you put it into the, the same user story as a standard response is just to fill out what they want? Um, you can include it in the same user story, but it's better to separate it. Yeah, It's easier for, if you do a handover of the project and you are as a developer, then every other developer knows what needs to be done. Because maybe you have the insights, but with the handover, somebody is missing some information. What can be possible? And if you define it in every single user story, there is no way of missing information. No, I get that. And I think um, it's important to understand that you may end up with multiple developers actually on the same project. Yes. So being able to understand that, that's good. But that that where we're at now brings us into the kind of last item on my list whenever it comes to these kind of things, which is the emotional brainstorm, like how off users feeling about it. Yep. Because if they come out of that brainstorming session or that development session or the user session or the business session, whatever we call this, it's not really a development session, so strike that one. But from it, from that session with the user and they see this business mm -hmm. process map and everything else, you need to make sure they're comfortable and happy with it. So point yes. one, which means you need to sit there and go, guys, okay, this is what we've got so far and literally speak through asking them to stop when they find something they don't like or stop if they think something is missing but making users happy there are some standard things like we said talked earlier there's an email that gets sent back to the user to say yep. hey your request has been made and this is the status yes um and it can also be something like an faq or something uh, I don't know what I need to fill in here, so where can I find some help? An FAQ, yes, that's true. So it might be a, a, a things that you're building on top of. Yeah. Yeah. So, and What do you do with them? Do you define them or do you say, hey, it's just coming with the process? I think there is, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I was thinking to myself, and that's why I asked you the question, really. So as a developer, do you assume... A, we'll send them an email at this point and just let you know what you filled out. No. You don't assume it? No. Developers don't assume that. They should not assume things like that because if they assume that they need to send out an email and it's not true, yeah, then they have to redo code or anything else. So in that session, you would explain to the end user, okay, so you're going to fill that form out and then what we're going to do is we're going to email you that you filled out the form. Does that sound like a good idea? Yep. And you get confirmation. Okay, that's cool. And I'm guessing then you can also think about the other added value at that point, like, and there will be a link on the email and you can then look at the status of it to show them, for example, whether it's been approved or not or what the next stage of the process is so they can contact somebody. Or something practical like where is the car parked and where do you need to pick it up? You're jumping to the end again, aren't you? <laughs> but yes, you're you're right. There'll be a list of feedback mechanisms. Yes. And that that is how we ensure that when this workflow is built, they emotionally accept it because it's adding real value. Yes. And adding value is key to any emotional process. 
Yes. Mm, yeah, most of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to create something that nobody uses, which is always the danger. Yes, it is. And also, um, users want the full package and they assume that a developer knows what they want without any conversation or without any giving more clear information. So it's actually your responsibility to make sure you get all the information. Yeah, we need to make sure of them. Is it the developer's responsibility? Not always. So whose responsibility is it then? Because are you going to ask a developer to directly talk to users because they will lose each other during the entire way? That's an interesting question. So you're a developer, but you talk to users. Yes, but that's something I've learned during uh, doing business. At the beginning in my stage as a developer, it was hard to translate what the business requirement was to development because I didn't know how they were explaining all of the business requirements. Okay. So most of the time there is someone in between that is able to translate business requirements to development requirements. A business analyst. Yeah, or functional analyst or something like that. Yeah, whatever they're called nowadays. But you've grown up. You're a big girl now. You're a consultant. Big is not the right word, but no, yes, well, I I'm a consultant. Tall. I didn't say tall. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you've, you've obviously moved away from pure development into yeah. the consultancy world. I did. So you learned how to talk to business and how to get the best from them. Yes. All right. So so let's just recap where we are a little bit. And then we'll maybe just carry on talking about that emotional brainstorming thing to find out where we're at to kind of bring it to an end so we've identified a scope which is a description of what the end-to-end -end process has to deliver and potentially where the value is and who's involved in that process and in our simple terms we had a user filling out a form somebody approving the form and maybe getting the information further down the line about a car now being booked yes maybe updating a table that says cars that are available that may feed back to the form that says, hey, on these dates, these are the cars you have available, whatever. Um, and then uh, from there, we build a bunch of user stories. So those individuals, what they actually see. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I made a connection there between when somebody fills a form out, we kind of create a list of cars that are booked on those dates. But we're now we're immediately filling that back to the user. So from an emotional perspective... I know I'm jumping a section, but from an emotional perspective, they don't get frustrated that they tried to book a car that was not available. Yep. So again, it's understanding where the users are, which we'll come back to in a second. And then we basically create this user story diagram. Map, <laughs> is it? Yes. Map. I like that. Going to look at that up. Uh, it's something to learn today, but it makes sense to me. So every user story then has the context of where it's coming from. Oh, yeah, good. and that is oh, giving very much information back to the team that is working on the project. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then uh, the emotional side, which we touched upon, which you was... You skipped the post-it process. You were talking about the user story map, and you didn't do the po post-it process. Yeah, but we said <laughs> earlier that the post-it process for the business layout was so much like the user story map. Yes. But you're right, I didn't uh, i did miss that out so we get the user stories and the user story map and then the post-it process is and what i yes the process post-it process is just doing with post-its getting the requirements and breaking down the form and all of that but what 
if there is nothing else to be said in the post-it process. So when do you know when you're finished? When do you know if you need it, yes or no? Oh, that's a great question. So I have a bunch of user stories. I'm going to fill out a form. I need to see cars that are booked. Uh, I need to action this. I need to approve it. So you have the users that do all those things. What if you detail the user story that much that you don't need to uh, uh, post it process? Do you want to have the process visualized for the users? Yes. And then you always do the process, post yes. it process. Or is the diagram enough? Can the di diagram be enough? I think if we're talking about the emotional acceptance and the ownership of this from an end user's perspective or from a business, different roles in the business, they all need to see the big end-to-end -end process, don't they? Yes. Because it's about visualizing something. It's about seeing, and I get that I'm a visual person. I don't do things very well with reading. But my question is that If I can see that that's my start point and I get to the point where I'm sitting in the car and then you can describe the different stages, if I have broken them down into that post-it process, so linking the user stories together with the mm -hmm. logical process and they change it, I don't have to start rewriting post-its, I can just change the logic in between or I can drop in a decision process or a trigger point Or I can create an event, so I'm tracking the status. So it's something you always do? I do. I try and break it down into as small a component parts as possible. I'm an agile person. <laughs> I think agile. I think <laughs> epics. I think user stories. I think delivery in sprints. So everything has to be done in a small amount of time. Yeah, but I can understand that there are uh, projects where you skip them. If it's a really simple process, Yes. But I wouldn't want to. I'd want to ask the questions. It's just fun to do the post-it process. It's very fun to do, so that's I'm, why we want to do it. I'm doing it because it's fun, is that it? Um, no, it's given you more insights. And I think so. The users think about more about requirements than with the user story. They During the user story process, they can forget about things that are important to know. Yes, And if you break down the process in the post-its part, then they need to think about it. So that's why you should always have it. You can also take a nice pretty picture of it as well. And if you don't do it, you can't take a pretty picture. If your process is too big, then you need to break down your picture, maybe in 10 pictures, but hey, that's fine. <laughs> but, but I would also suggest that you break your coding down into small pieces, isn't yes. it? So, I mean, if I have... 16 people that need to approve that request for a car um, then I wouldn't actually have that running around the, the wall I would say and this point we stop and then that becomes I guess a, a, a variable of some point that I yeah. might reuse later but I do them one at a time so yes if it's too big it's difficult for the users the reason though that I I want to be able to put all of those post-it details in is back to this emotional thing It's yep. about ownership. And if the users have seen the process and understand how much work is involved, so when you give them the bill at the end of it, they are emotionally attached <laughs> and go, well, it was worth it because it's fully encompassed. Yes. Um, but they kind of own it then. You're trying to make it that they own it, not that the dev team owns it 
or IT owns it. It's owned by the business. So they sign off that process. So I think you need the detail. Yes, you need the detail. But sometimes you might not have time. <laughs> that is true. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It is. And that's why you better not start, skip one of the techniques, one of the three that we just discussed. Because yeah. the three have very important things. But it can be in very small processes that the post-it part is being skipped because of the user stories being well told yep. and being well informed already in there. But And sometimes the other way around, that they skip the user stories and that they go directly to the post-its. doesn't work either. It's, it doesn't depend on how big everything will be and um, what is needed to achieve all of it. I think you're right. I think at a basic level, though, it, it changes the perspective. So from a developer's perspective, you see the logic, the bits that need to be done, and it becomes a technical post-it wall. And then from a user perspective, they don't understand it. But from a, if you do it as purely a business stuff, then the developers have to go away and think about it. Yep. But, um, but from an agile perspective, I think it's more important that you understand what the user wants. So let's assume we've got this wall completed. We've got the whole thing from end to end. We need to clarify the emotional involvement of the end users. And there's some things we can do there as well that would help us. So um, from very simple things like explain the first section and then ask them to score one to five with their hands. You know, one, two, three, give us a one if you think we're missing something. Give us a five if you think we've got everything in place. So you can then go through each of the sections and break them down. Yes. Then you can kind of fill it out with a post-it and go done and happy or whatever. Um, and that works too. Um, but basically we need them to be able to accept and move on and understand that what you've got on the wall here is what's going to be built. Are you happy with that? Yes. Because if and they lie... <laughs> it's not always easy to get that answer out of the users. No, it's not. But if you can break it down into simple techniques, like show us a score of one to five, whether you understand it. If anybody says one, then at least you can sit there and say, okay, are we missing something? It's an indication. If they all go with fives or fours, potentially, then at least you know you can improve or move something. And if they don't want to do it in public or in the room, then you can just give them extra post-its and then they can put the score in there and place them all over it. <laughs> That's true. All right, so we had four tools, four different types of information gathering techniques to help us define and create that application. Yes. And is it something you always do with the big ones and the smaller projects? Yes. I, I kind of do. I mean, I've seen so many things go wrong when a developer assumes something or when a, <laughs> an, an analyst assumes something. That brings me back to my statement. A developer should not assume anything. That is very true. <laughs> Neither should an end user. No. And so maybe that's one of the opening things. Guys, look, we're going to be here for a couple of hours. You should not assume that what you're thinking, we're thinking. So yeah. more communication here. The better, better this will work and um, the four techniques we just described are as much as important in big and small projects and if you skip one of them or not being uh, paying attention enough to one of them the projects most of the time fail yeah, that is or your 
running out of budget or you are going way over budget or you just have people that give up because you cannot deliver what they want. No, and I think that it uh, it is important that you manage to keep the users emotionally involved and that may well mean you break this down and you don't do the whole end-to-end thing in one go because they can't cope with it. Yep. And also developing it in sections and feeding back what you've done so far and showing it and demonstrating it before you move on to the next stage I think is another way of keeping them involved and also ensuring that there's full understanding. So, you know, because it could be some silly things like that button's a bit small, <laughs> you yes. know, that I'm supposed to click. I'm never going to see that button, all right? Uh, or I want that button on the other side of the forum or up, up or not. <laughs> yes, and then the user differences. So when I fill the form out, I want to start off with the type of car I would like, you know, whereas the person approving it wants to see the date first. You know, so then you kind of got to work out what the stories are around it. And there's an immense amount of detail that would make the user happier. And if you don't ask the questions, you don't get the answers. That's completely true. All right. And that happens probably more than we'd like. Yeah. We see it way too often that they skip those steps and that projects are failing. So final question or final thinking on this for a little bit. So we've got these great techniques and we talked about a workflow. But what about things like, simple things like, I need a SharePoint list or I'm going to store this content here. Would you go through this kind of process for something that is not a workflow with different triggers and decision makers? Um, Maybe not all of the steps in that process if just i need a sharepoint list but then we still need to sit together and we need to talk and ask the question okay why do you need this list what do you want to keep in it Uh, who needs to be able to access it Uh, who needs to be able to add information to the list and all of that information we need to have because building a list is easy so we could do it live Yes, you could do it, but you want to <laughs> go that way. Yeah, well, you know, why don't we then, in our next episode, look at doing something live with the users, do live development and seeing what works and what doesn't. Uh, and I know this is, hey, no, we're never going to do that. That's our first instinct, potentially. <laughs> but I've also been in situations where users want to feel involved. Yep. And the other thing is that we're talking about empowering users here. So if they're ever going to learn what SharePoint lists can do and how they can do it, maybe it's a technique we need to look at. So maybe that's what we can look at next. Something what I always do live with users is when we are talking about an intranet and they want to know the look and feel. So I go to a SharePoint demo site and I put in the places they want to see live in there. And then they have already the feeling with SharePoint instead of making a drowning somewhere at the whiteboard. Yeah, true. Or um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, with the little square boxes. Damn. Uh, wireframe. Yes. Yeah. Where they just go, oh, so that's where that button will be. But what will it look like? And then you never know. Yes. So that makes some sense. So let's maybe look at how we can translate that into some data management or content management. Yeah. Neat. All right. So we finished. No, we no? are missing one part. And what are we missing part now? 
we have talked about breaking down the forms, emotionally interact with the users, getting users involved in all of the steps. But what about testing? Ah, oh, testing. <laughs> yes, it's not important. We just build it and we throw it at the users and go, it's oh. done. And we put it in our live environment and then our live environment goes down. <laughs> no, <laughs> testing is very important. And that's also something where we need to get the users involved. But um, to get them involved with the testing, we need to give them some test scenarios based on everything that we decide that we want to do so that they can test it in their user role, in their role, and they can see it working and can see what impact it has. And then at the back, we can see, as a developer, you can see what impact it has on the system or not. No, I agree. And the other thing is that how do you get a sign-off if you don't know what the testing is supposed to look like? So you're absolutely correct. So we, we can refer it very easily to our own examples we've had already where I'm filling out the form. then uh, And so you can sit there and have a test definition that says um, you press the button, uh, the form opens, they can fill out these fields. It displays and looks like this. They click the send button and the form disappears. So you can put those into test scenarios. Yes. So click on the button, check the form opens, check box, done. And so you can work your way through those things. So my question to you then is, do you involve the users in those testing brainstorming sessions or do you do it only with the technical people? You got your users involved. They might get bored and fed up. Uh, no, because most of the time they already done it in the user stories and in the post-it brain and in the post-it sessions. Yeah, yeah. So then you can say, hey, let's make this also a test case. Okay, so what we're basically saying is that we uh, we will fill it out as they're telling us what to do with the form and then you would sit there and say, okay, so the testing at this point is that this is how it will happen. Yep. And if you're happy with that, then we will give you the opportunity to test that so you would start to build your test scenario. Yes, so one of the test scenarios could be if you have in your form a yes-no question and you answer yes, then you need to fill in those fields. If you answer no, then you need to fill in those fields. That you say to your user, okay, fill in the form with yes and fill in the form with no. That they are making sure that everything is in there and it's working like it's supposed to be. So here's a question for you. Is it the development team that builds the testing scenarios or is it the business that builds the testing scenarios or is it somebody completely different? In best cases, it's somebody completely different. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> But of course, it's extra money, but it could well yeah. be one of the business analysts, for example. It could be. Or it could be somebody from the business. Yes. And if you go in really deep development and you are in Visual Studio working there, you can have software that's create the scenarios for you as well. But Automated testing is a, a key part of this process, but not one that you would just go live with just no. saying no it's automated itself but yes but most of the time in best case scenario you have somebody else creating the test uh, stories and otherwise uh, you would have two people one developer and one of the business that are being combined no, side side by side yes. and 
confirm it works. And they are aware in the process from the beginning until the end. So they know exactly everything that is being required from user perspective. Yes, I agree. Sounds like the perfect scenario. And I'm sure the business are have got plenty of spare time to be able to do that. <laughs> Most of the time, not. No. Same as a developer, but it needs to be done. True. And if they don't want to do it, they need to understand the risk that they may not get what they actually want. Yeah. It is a key one. There yeah. we go. You're right. We missed one. He <laughs> says knowingly. <laughs> We've got it on notes, not post-it notes, because we're in a podcasting studio with with walls of material. And so we can't stick post-it notes on there easily. But we'll fix that in time because post-it notes are the way to go. <laughs> All right, cool. So that was Fusion Talk, uh, talking about some scenarios around how we can collect information. Yes. What are we going to talk about next time? Live building with the users. <laughs> no, I think we should look at that. I think that yeah. there are cases when it works and cases when it doesn't. And I think it's all about how quickly you can easily do it. But I've got some scenarios where I've done it with users in the past, not for workflows, because I don't do workflows. But uh, I have done I've it. I've done with, it for workflows. No, I've done it with lookup fields and, you know, basic content stuff. And, and it was important because they then take it away. And getting their yep. involvement and key is key. So, you know, getting the user buy-in, doing some live testing, working alongside them. It's not brainstorming, but it is a way to develop apps. And it's also a, tech, a brainstorm technique. Good. That's what we'll talk about next time. We will. All right. I'll let you say goodbye. Goodbye and hear you. happy to hear you next time. Cool. And if you want to grab hold of us, you can catch us on LinkedIn and on X. X. I was going to say Twitter. <laughs> I'm glad you interrupted that. X, formerly Twitter. So, yes, we'll give you those handles uh, in the text uh, on the podcast. So check us out and we'll take it from there. Uh, it's bye from Steve Dolby. Bye from Anouk. Welcome to Fusion Talk with Anouk and Steve.